From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, I'm your moderator. I'm here. Hey, and uh, we are here in uh, Studio A, joining us from a undisclosed location in the great state of Massachusetts, which right now is the focus of the best Super Bowl ad that's already been released. That Hyundai ad is killing me, Rich Rubino. Rich Rubino, how you doing, buddy? Good, thanks. Good. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this. 2020 campaign. So uh, the, the one thing that we've been seeing a lot of is a lot of movement going on, and the play has been Bernie Sanders. Rich Rubino, tell me, what are we seeing here with Bernie Sanders? Is is this just uh, a Bernie moment in time, or is this really sustainable that Bernie could actually pull this off? Yes, I think he could. I think he's kind of, I think that, you know, I guess the kind of status quo is that it's view that is, it's kind of like the Phoenix running from the dead. You know, he essentially had a heart attack. And then he came back. Elizabeth Warren, you know, sent his staff sent him some um, some gifts over to Bernie Sanders. The thought was that they were trying to somehow get somehow you know propitiate him, trying to get an endorsement, something to that effect. But no, one thing Bernie Sanders does for somebody who's seventy eight years old, you know, he can go to four or five events per day. He can go out and campaign. It's the same message he's had, you know, since he's been running for Senate going back to nineteen seventy two. He's essentially running on the exact same message, which is essentially. That the wealthy have that that there needs to be some sort of redistribution, and he supports you know democratic socialism. I think in part it's because there's kind of a split between him and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren tends to get, and Bernie Sanders's um, people have actually gone out and distributed and and actually tried to promote this message that she's basically basically getting the getting the support of some of the more of some more wealthy Democrats, um, some kind of professional, I guess you call them, kind of gentry liberals, whereas Bernie Sanders is getting. You know, for somebody who's 78 years old, he's absolutely killing it with the millennials and he's killing it with he's actually doing very well with some white working class voters as well. And I think that, you know, their their basic view is that last time around, he should have garnered the nomination. They think that it was purloined from him by Demi Watchman Schultz and by Hillary Clinton. They think that this is essentially, you know, this is, a, this is his time. And I think that when Elizabeth Warren kind of came out when she for her, her health care plan, and originally said that, you know, she supported Medicare for all, then said, well, maybe we'll have it have to wait a little while, something to that effect. She was seen as somewhat wishy-washy. Bernie Sanders kept to that same message. And the other thing is, I think that, um, you know, there was some, for example, there was um, the defense budget that came up. Elizabeth Warren voted with with Michael Bennett and the establishment Democrats. Bernie Sanders was the only one who essentially voted the other right. way. But he's really becoming the champion or the tribune of that progressive bloodline in the Democratic Party right now. And Elizabeth Warren is doing all that she can to try to bring some of those voters back. But yes, I absolutely think that she can win this. He can win this domination. Joining me in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He is the one we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And Alan Moore, what's new here? I mean, because you know we saw at one time Bernie down at you know fourteen, thirteen percent. Uh, now he's surging. 25. I mean, we're talking big 10-point swings here, and it's not just Iowa. We're seeing it in New Hampshire, and we're starting to see him tick up in odd places that we wouldn't expect to be Bernie-friendly, like the Carolinas, which are going to be important on Super Tuesday. Is this real? Well, 
Iowa is notoriously difficult to predict because it's caucuses on a Monday night, uh, hundreds of them all over the state, and nobody knows who's going to show up. And the polls in Iowa show that less than half the people have made up their mind. So just take the polls in Iowa with a grain of salt. The the, the New Hampshire polls are more interesting because they will have a, a primary um, and and uh, and Bernie's nearby. Elizabeth Warren's nearby. Um, but but uh, uh, the thing that's fascinating about Bernie is, yes, he's not only held his own, but he's he's been creeping up. And it is driving the party leadership crazy because they fear that he is the weakest candidate against Trump that they could put forward. And they are desperately fearful that this could happen. Joining us, ironically, from a snow-covered tundra in the confines of Iowa is our Democratic political operative, Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. I'm from the land where they say, is this heaven? Nope. It's Iowa. <laughs> Dan. Wow, Dan, you are Dan. quoting when you can quote Field of Dreams, Dan. That makes my heart warm. Hey, Dan, you know we've been talking about this uh, Bernie Sanders uptick, surge, uh, dream cloud, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is a guy, like I said earlier to Alan, this is a guy that has gone from at some points twelve, thirteen percent up to twenty five percent in Iowa now. Let me get you and your take on boots in the ground. Is it real? The short answer is it, it's it, there's a lot in play. Uh, there have now been five different polls in the last week and a half uh, uh, with four different people in the lead. I believe two of which had Biden the lead. So for whatever that's worth. Uh, but there's a lot in play. Uh, one of the biggest items to make note of is, depending on whose numbers you believe, it's anywhere between 20 and 40 percent of people are undecided, which is a huge number. Uh, add to that the the caucus calculus stuff. So a little inside baseball for folks. Um, the first the first round of balloting, if your candidate isn't viable, uh, you then need to reallocate to another candidate that is. And because there are as many as four or five candidates that might not be viable, once they're reallocated, that could push somebody else well over the edge because a viable candidate as a second choice could pick up a huge number of voters. So there, there is a lot in play. Now, now, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're seeing a large presence and a large influx of, I guess you call it flexing of muscle, by the trade unions. Uh, the trade unions are big. I know that the International Brotherhood of Teamsters had a big, uh, a, a big forum out there in Cedar Rapids, which almost every major candidate showed up for that. Uh, and these are these are folks that have been traditional Biden supporters. Are they going to be the key factor, or is this going to be, um, I, I hate to put it this way, which campaign is going to suck less to get the most numbers? Uh, let me be clear. This is not a suck less kind of thing. 
the Biden campaign is pretty impressive. Uh, the Buttigieg campaign has actually been pretty impressive, uh, as is Klobuchar and Warren. Uh, the, the Bernie folks, um, based on what I've seen on the ground, uh, they are... Uh, they, they they can be identified from a distance to be generous. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> the are, are you are you talking about the dayglow fluorescent pink hair? Uh, again, I I, I I I I I'm not going to disparage another campaign, but I simply will point out uh, the Bernie folks. You you almost don't need to ask when you see them. <laughs> okay. uh, and and to some extent, Bernie's of the campaigns on the ground. Bernie's campaign has been playing the least nice with others. Been throwing some very sharp elbows. It was either yesterday or today. Uh, Bernie Sanders spoke up and said. Uh, uh, something that was kind of caught me off guard saying, well, I'm not responsible. I can't control everything my volunteers do. Uh, I'm based on what I've seen. I don't think it's just his volunteers. I, he might not be, the, the candidate might not be fully in control of his own ship. Ah, R Rich Rubino. I, I mean, this, this is, this is not what we would expect out of, out of Iowa. I mean, this is not Bernie friendly country. You know, it's interesting. Um, first of all, I figured you know the stereotype of the Bernie Sanders that they all have, um, you know, very fancy, they all have steer sucker suits and they're very preppy. I would assume that's what you're looking at. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's not what we were looking at. That wasn't you were looking at. No, okay. no, no. We keep no, going. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Some of the people who have won Iowa. I mean, go back to 1988. You had Dick Gephardt winning, and Dick Gephardt won by being the late by being essentially the Labor candidate. 1992, you had essentially no Iowa caucuses because Tom Harkin participated, and he was the incumbent senator, but Al Gore won, even though Bill Bradley had an upsurge toward the end, and he had a support from the, from the Des Moines, Re for the Mo Des Moines Register. Um, but it's always been kind of the late, it's always been, there's always been a support for labor unions and candidates like Bernie Sanders, or well, the perfect example, I guess, like the probably similar to Bernie Sanders would probably be Howard Dean's back in 2004. And it was surging for a while, but toward the end of the campaign, it really started to dissipate. And eventually, John Edwards and John Kerry kind of moved up. That kind of moved up the uh, kind of moved up the political life cycle and finished second and third. And then you had you know Howard Dean and then Dick Gephardt who went after. I guess it was mutually assured destruction. But as Dan was saying early, late, earlier, that there was you know some sort of a concerted effort to really bring Dean down. But Iowa, I mean, it's really an unpredictable state. You know, on the Republican side, you know that whoever's the, the evangelical candidate probably has the upper hand. And that in that case, it was. Um, you know, it's Mike Huckabee winning a state that's, you know, Republicans are about 60 percent evangelical back in 2008. Um, but it's also a very big anti-war sentiment in the state of Iowa. And that's something that I think really benefits um, Bernie Sanders. But the thing that I'm wondering about and with the whole 15 percent thing is the people that go for someone like Tulsi Gabbard, for example. So Tulsi Gabbard doesn't meet the 15 percent threshold. Would they then be would they then be the second choice for a lot of the for a lot of those people? Right. And then they go out, they land up supporting Bernie Sanders. But notice they really have not gone right. after each other whatsoever. And I think they could, that could actually make up some of the difference there. Right. Alan Moore? So it, it, oh, in, oh, the, in the oh, world of on. mild political – go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. no. Go, ahead, go. go ahead, Dan. So in the world of mild political humor, uh, while talking to some volunteers, and uh, Rich's point is absolutely right, uh, I had mentioned that we need uh, – we, we have some folks fulfilling, and I'm quoting myself here, something I didn't realize I said, the missionary position to go out to convert the unconverted. Oh, good uh, Lord. Which, no, you know which, what? Which, no, which no, no Dan, Dan, my supporters. Dan, really? We're not you, – you, did you really think in a million years you were going to let that fly? Are you high? <laughs> Well, let's be clear. Missionaries are a thing, and those are people who go out and convert folks. That oh, was the second word I, I used God. unintentionally. 
Okay. Here I would we just go. like to point out that uh, Maddie the engineer put on her headphones at the wrong possible moment. Oh, sweet oh. mother of God, Maddie, <laughs> Maddie. Hey, Dan. Hashtag us too, jerk. It's, what are you killing me? It sounds like Dan is working on being a permanent volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> you know we love you, Dan, but Jesus, you're killing me. Well, Joe Biden's the one candidate who's against marijuana legalization, though. <laughs> what? Oh, God. Okay, Alan Moore, you had so, something yeah, you wanted to say, I, what, what I, what and I, I let him stop you no, for no, that. I, you you I, let him go. That's, that's all right. Your fault. That's all right. I, yeah, who knew? Um, <laughs> but but uh, but actually, Dan, I'd be interested in, in Dan's comment because you came on just as I was making this point. Before a, I agreed. I, I had already made the point. And, and then you echoed it about about how many people are undecided. That's A. And then B, the, it sort of implied this whole question of polls are one thing, going out and showing up and trying to figure out this sort of complicated caucusing system is a different thing. Are young people who tend to su- support Bernie willing to go? Are they more likely to go or are they less likely to go if they happen so, to be part of the poll, here, so it's just it, all, all it all it speaks to is all the uncertainty. But I, where I wanted Dan to comment was on the comment I made about about how the the sort of conventional Democratic Party leaders, the people who are working for most of these other campaigns, not uh, crazy Bernie, um, are a little bit nuts at the thought that Bernie might emerge, that he might win Iowa, then might win in New Hampshire, might have a decent showing at South Carolina. Nobody thinks he's going to win there. But 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 there might be all this momentum behind Bernie, who but who most of most Republican observers of longstanding believe would be the weakest candidate against President so, Trump. So, Dan, Alan's asking you in Alan's very special way, is is Bernie real, and can he do this? That's not what Alan's asking. Alan's Correct. asking not whether or not Bernie's, if Bernie's has people who are his first choice, but wants to know whether or not Bernie's anyone's second choice. Uh, so after either the undecideds or the folks who are who need to be realigned after uh, the, the, the first round, and to be clear, there's only going to be two, um, that... Uh, it's it, based on things that I've seen and heard. Again, I can't reveal anything internally, but uh, Bernie's nobody's number two. Bernie's folks are Bernie's folks, but Bernie doesn't have legs beyond Bernie. Um, so the, but as far as the the other questions you asked, as far as the conventional wisdom, none of it's conventional wisdom. Uh, the Buttigieg folks are also very close to being. Uh, Biden folks, which considering uh, the 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 what you would think of uh, or the conventional wisdom of a of a of a mayor from South Bend, Indiana, who who is who is also gay and served in the military, he is actually the same group of people that are Klobuchar and Biden folks. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard's been her own planet. Um, so it, there's that. Steyer folks um, are also sort of out there and there's a bit of a split between uh, more leading Biden than Buttigieg but uh, they're they're out there as well uh, people forget Bennett is out there even though as far as my my own little survey of the field team uh, nobody can has recalls actually encountering either a Bennett or Duval Patrick voter right so it's it, it, it's all interesting can stuff people here. can people identify Bennett or Duval Patrick 
You mean if they met them on the street? Probably not. Okay, that's what I thought. Hey, or John Delaney. Or yeah, that's too. We forgot about John Delaney. That's true. And we haven't mentioned Andrew Yang, who's now on the on, on the debate stage in New Hampshire. That's oh, that's right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see too where his people will go if he doesn't reach the assuming he doesn't reach the fifteen percent. Yep. Yep. Well, here's here's the question I've got is, you know, in Iowa and Dan, check my math on this. Bloomberg could be, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to call it an interesting an interesting dynamic, but Bloomberg spent a lot of money in Iowa on TV. Bloomberg has spent a lot of time pushing the agenda. He, if, if because Iowa's a caucus state, anybody could caucus for Bloomberg. Is that correct, Dan? That is not correct. That is not. Uh, you still have you have to be on the ballot, and there is no write-in. So Bloomberg is not on the ballot in Iowa. Okay. We are prepared. Uh, the campaign is obviously prepared for folks not realizing that. So when they get in the room and they wanted to caucus for Bloomberg, uh, that they are advised that Bloomberg is not there. So their their next choice uh, they can go to. So is this... However, there is one there there is one one very interesting thing this cycle. What's because that? Because there's only going to be two rounds. If undecided, if people kind of drag their feet uh, and say they're only going to be undecided, after the first round, if undecided it's viable, they're locked in. Undecided can actually win a caucus. It can win a statewide caucus. You, that you know, is going to be interesting. It can, can win you know, individual precincts and even potentially the statewide caucus. Wow. I don't expect to happen it, it to happen statewide, but it is possible for individual precincts to actually produce an undecided uh, number of delegates. Interesting. There's actually precedent there. In 1972, the first Iowa caucuses, uncommitted won. In 1976, everyone says Jerry Carter won, but actually uncommitted came in before, came in first, and Jimmy Carter came in second. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for clearing that up, Rich. That's why we love having you on the show. Um, so the, the same person, un- uncommitted, runs every time, I guess. Yeah, that, no, that's true. Hey, uh, Alan Moore, when when we see, we're we're hearing the name Bloomberg more and more in this. We're seeing him become more and more of a factor, just from the money, the TV, and just the sheer, uh, you know, I don't care, I just want Donald Trump out aspect of it. Uh, is is that enough to convince Democratic voters to really give a serious look to Michael Bloomberg as? The guy I really want in the White House that can truly beat Donald Trump. It it remains to be seen. He's not on the ballot in Iowa. Um, uh, he's not on the uh, on the ballot in New Hampshire. I don't. Right. I don't believe. Um, he's aiming at Super Tuesday. I believe. Right. Um, now the reason he's rising is is got two for. He's rising for two reasons. One. A, an enormous amount of money, so he's present almost everywhere. One hundred and fifty million dollars so, on TV buys in major markets will get you that kind of attention. So he's 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 out there, he's visible. But the other thing that's part of this is there are people who don't like the other choices enough. So I don't know how to factor one versus the other, but you know, let's face it. You got these four, four to five candidates who are, you know, per- perking along between 15 and 25 percent and a little bit up, a little bit down. But nobody's really taken off. 
And there's a lack of enthusiasm by a lot of folks, uh, including independents who might join the independent or who might join the Democratic primary. Um, and it was like, I don't like him. I don't like her. I don't like him. And this guy, Bloomberg, um, he doesn't have to take any money from right. anybody. He was mayor of New York for how many years? Oh, my God. Three 12 terms. Years? Wow. Three terms. So. So and I'm and I'm watching some of his his ads and and, uh, you know, I'm going to put his name down for now. So do I think it's going to happen? No, but it could happen. Absolutely. Dan Lipner, this leads to an interesting question that, you know, as Alan and you have pointed out, he's not in the ballot in Iowa. He's not in the ballot in New Hampshire. He's uh, barely focusing on uh the Carolinas moving into Super Tuesday, is is this a situation of, A, Bloomberg really doesn't think he's going to win it, but he's going to throw his money around to get everybody to stop looking at Trump, or B, is he banking on going to a brokered convention, striking out a bunch of checks for superdelegates and being able to buy his way into the nomination just to get Trump out? I mean, if I had, I mean, based on what I'm seeing in Bloomberg, uh, he's, it looks like he's, while he would like the nomination, it would be a nice little prize to have in his trophy case. He wants to beat Trump, and he's said he's willing to spend a, a billion dollars or more in order to do so. So um, I, I, I'm okay with that. But does, does Bloomberg, in your opinion, and what you're hearing, does Bloomberg's, are Bloomberg's presidential aspirations real or as you put it is this just another cute little tchotchke to put up on his big big wall i mean let me be clear i think bloomberg is sincere as far as the threat he views trump uh to the to the the country and doing everything in his power to try and beat him but uh, the and he definitely thinks he's he's a credible candidate as a three-term uh, mayor of the largest city in the country and a guy who's worth $52 billion. That said, um, it, it, so it's hard to say because here in Iowa, he's not on the ballot, so nobody's really been polling it. But they so, know his name out uh, there, though, Dan. Well, they know his name because he's on TV. But it's worth noting you have to actually dig into his ads. Yes, his ads do support Bloomberg, but I have not see, seen a single ad that he has put up that does not very directly throw a hard punch at the president. And also, as the president goes, the president's doing something interesting coming up to the caucuses. He's bringing in 45 surrogates uh, in excess in, in, in advance of the caucuses. Trump is on the ballot here because the Republicans actually do have it. So is Wells. So it could be some interesting news for the president, considering everything that's happening in Washington. In- interesting play. Uh, Alan Moore, after the caucuses, do you see the herd thinning out even more? Do, who, who, who do we suspect is probably going to come out of this? Well, <sighs> Rich talked about about the the curious history of Iowa, um, and it, it's got I think seven of the last ten candidates won in Iowa, but some of them were were sort of obvious and slam dunk. And other times Iowa hasn't been particularly relevant. Um, it's so close this time that that uh, unless something really dramatic occurs. Um, 
I think Iowa will quickly be forgotten. And then New Hampshire will be the one that matters because there will be a clear winner in New Hampshire. Um, that doesn't mean there won't be a, a winner in Iowa, but I don't think it'll be the, the kind of clear winner. It, it, assuming it's not, there's no clear winner, then, then I think uh, Iowa is just a reminder that folks have not made up their mind yet. Um, and then the bigger focus on New Hampshire, then, then on South Carolina, um, where it, where it, the, the going gets rougher. Right. There's, there is a debate in New Hampshire, and as we mentioned before, Andrew Yang has recently qualified for that debate, which was a bit of a surprise because right. he wasn't on the stage the last time. So he's still in. Um, and and uh, we just talked about Bloomberg. He's going to be around right. uh, for for a good while. I don't see Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Biden, or Buttigieg, uh, or for that matter, Klobuchar dropping out. Now, if Klobuchar had a really lousy Iowa, and then she might, she, she might yes, yeah. because Does, because the, uh, she's really got to do well in Iowa. But if she does, it, right, do do well, better than expected. Pull out a, you know, even conceivably a victory. I don't know. Yep. Um, then it could be a massive boost uh, for her. Dan, we're hearing buzz. You know, oh, go ahead, real quick, Rich. No, I was just going to say, in terms of Amy Klobuchar, what she can, she, she should, I think she could employ the same strategy Fred Harris did in 1976. Fred Harris was not supposed to finish in the top four. He did finish in the top four. The theory was uh, Iowa is supposed to be the be the state that winners you out. He said, "You, they, Iowa has just winnowed me in." I think she could have a very similar strategy, almost like when Bill Clinton in 92 declared himself a comeback kid. Right. She can declare a third, a third or fourth place. I think she can declare as a victory and say, you say Iowa has, Iowa has, Iowa has summoned the call. Now I'm going on to New Hampshire. Uh, Dan Lipner, let me go to you on, uh, on a couple of pieces of buzz that we're hearing here in D.C., uh, particularly with those of the recently departed from uh, the campaign. Uh, word on the street that... Uh, Kamala Harris is looking at a possible Biden endorsement. Does that help him? Does that help him ease some of the tensions that he might have with some minority voters? Um, well, I can't I, I can't speak too much t- to that, but any endorsement uh, barring uh, Joe Rogan endorsing Bernie Sanders whew, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it is is. Is definitely helpful, and Kamala Harris, uh, especially considering uh, the the rough debate challenges, uh, at least rough debate challenge between uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden in one of the in one of the early debates, um, would absolutely be helpful. And we're also hearing uh, possibly uh, a Cory Booker with Pete Buttigieg. Does that help or hurt him with his minority voting? Uh, well, for Buttigieg, it's a different creature since Buttigieg has it has been had some serious, serious issues uh, getting any I- any headway with minority voters nationwide, and, and so uh, Cory Booker, who is uh, clearly seen as well liked and actually he'd been able to stick around very well, could have been a lot of people's second choice, uh, but he was unlikely to reach viability on on the first ballot. Uh, that probably could help Mayor Pete. Uh, all of that said, Mayor Pete's baggage is both he himself and the the uh, issues he carries with him from from his term as mayor. He's had some issues with the police chief there that uh, while I personally think he was 
uh, very brave and very bold with how candid he was uh, not being able to get things done uh, that has not seemed to have resonated with voters. Right, right. Uh, Alan, we've got one minute left in the segment. Uh, what what is the what is the big expectation, and what could be the biggest shocker coming out of Iowa? Well, the biggest shocker would be if somebody emerged as a big as a big winner. That that would really be a surprise. William be- Weld wins Iowa. William Weld wins <laughs> <Yeah>. Iowa. <laughs> we we didn't ask you for the Republican side, Dan, yet, but we'll get to that. Uh, what's a big win? Thirty five percent. I think thirty five percent would be a clear a clear win given given where the numbers have been, um, and and then everybody else would have to be well back. You you right. if what you don't what would be less surprising if there were uh, if if two people sort of emerge around thirty percent for example um, a thirty thirty and then everybody else down and then, forty and, and, and then everybody it up four else ways. And, you know and then and who are these people if if we were talking about Amy Klobuchar this is her big chance so if she. If she could now, if she could pull out, squeeze out a close second or or a victory, that would be huge. Right. But, but the others need a bigger uh, a, a bigger separation, just because they've they've had the lead in different polls. So so right. I, I'm not expecting that. And you know the the fact that right. the three senators who are running are stuck in Washington and tied up in the Four. impeachment. Yeah. Uh, that that you know that's a that's a challenge for right. them uh there are, there are four but they're only there's only three only viable three that matter right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. sorry sorry senator bennett who's yeah. a good guy great guy we love, going nowhere. We love the uh dan lipner what do, what do you see being you know the the expectation and what could be the big shocker coming out of iowa well, the expectation is obviously Joe's going to win, and the big shocker would be Joe gets every single vote. Uh. <laughs> that was subtle. I got to I got to tell you something. That was subtle. I like that, Dan. Thank you, Rich Rubino. Um, yeah, no, I think the expectation. I think that if I think that if Pete Buttigieg is somehow able to win in Iowa, then I think he's going to take a lot of momentum in New Hampshire. I think. Amy Klobuchar, as I say, has to be, she can send third or fourth place. She has to declare that as some sort of a victory. But if Bernie Sanders really wins here, then there's going to be a lot of um, shock in the Democratic establishment. And I think this last time around, the Democratic establishment was able to do all they could to stop kind of there being a Sanders juggernaut or whatnot. But this time around, they see a scenario where he wins in Iowa, he wins in New Hampshire, potentially wins in Nevada, does a showing in South Carolina, then he goes to Super Tuesday. He's actually ahead in some states like California right now. I think the establishment there's going to be there's going to, at least not necessarily the candidates themselves but i think you're going to see kind of a stop sanders movement just like you saw you know a stop mcgovern movement a stop a stop carter movement wherever you have the establishment trying to get trying to take away a candidate it's kind of a rogue right not part of the establishment right well we're going to let that be the last word uh we're going to take a break here real quick but when we do come back you're i know you're not going to believe this but benjamin netanyahu's in town and the president thought this would be a great day to reveal his Middle East peace plan. We'll be back in one minute. Stay with us. I got a desperate notion. That's the way I feel today. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a word to say, that man turned his keys in, he packed and went away. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the that's the way I feel today.
from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Here here we are. Yep. It's Studio A, Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Last segment for this week for Backroom Politics, the best podcast you've never heard of, Alan Moore. Uh, Dan Lindner out in the frozen tundra of Iowa, Rich Rubino, uh, Maddie the Engineer, Rob the Engineer in there behind the glass, and I think I see an Oscar running around somewhere. R- Rob, is is that that is Oscar? He is. The founder made an appearance. Wow. he is. He, yeah, the, the, the founder made an appearance. It's like Caesar returning to Rome from war. My God. They set up the triumphant arts. Here exactly. R- rose petals. Rose petals. <laughs> hey, uh, in bow case, down. You, yeah, bow down Caesar. Hey, uh, in case you have not noticed, okay, in all the chaos that has been going on with the election cycle, all the chaos that's been going on with the impeachment up in the Senate, um, President Trump thought it would be a good idea to come up with a peace plan. And you would think that the the person he would put most uh, knowledgeable about the Middle East peace plan, well, if you were thinking Jared Kushner, you'd be in the same mentality as the President of the United States, which is exactly what happened. So uh, about 24 hours ago, uh, Bibi Netanyahu started his way over the Atlantic Ocean from Israel to here in Washington, D.C., and right before he left, the the Israeli judicial system decided that, well, we're going to indict the Israeli president with uh, charges of bribery and corruption, and they are pretty serious charges, uh, according to some in Israel. Uh, so what does BB net what I mean what what would you rather do? Alan, you are being charged as a head of state with corruption and bribery. Do you want to go see your best friend who's under impeachment as we speak and go see him at his house? Well, I I'm, This is like a house party. So I'm guessing that that the uh, the press coverage of the uh, a presidential impeachment is a little different in uh, uh, in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv than it is here, um, and that that they rely on the U.S. and whatever they think of Netanyahu and whatever they think individually of Trump, they appreciate the fact that Trump has tried to be a very good friend uh, of Israel. Having said that, this deal that Jared Kushner has has spent now three years, I, I guess, working right. working on. Um, even as it's being launched, has has triggered riots. Yeah, riots among Palestinians. There's not even a. It, there's nothing in here that causes them to think it's useful or 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 helpful to them. Which is not how you want to start. You you you'd like to start with somebody saying at least. You know, we don't like the deal, but there are a couple of promising elements. Right. Uh, there's only one little piece, which which is basically holding off new settlement building for four years. For four years. That, but that, after the four years, any, it's game Well, on. after that, but it's it's sort of like, and the president's trying to say, you guys have four years to do a lot of stuff, and we can make this great. Unfortunately, it has echoes of what he said to President Kim of North Korea, right? And and what he's said to the president of of Ch- uh, the premier of China, Dan, um, and and yeah, others. I, that... So, so, so Alan's bearing the lead on on why why the uh, the Palestinians had their. Uh, so I hadn't seen the the reports on the riots, but I did see what Netanyahu said he was going to do right in responses, which was okay, an annex thirty uh, percent of 
of the West Bank that was formerly believed to be Palestinian territory. Uh, you mean taking more land or permanently taking land that the Palestinians view as theirs? Natural that's, growth, that, Dan. Not, natural growth. That, that, well, that's not a land for peace kind of thing unless the peace is to just take a piece. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the question that's gotten everybody confused is, uh, you know, we're hearing terms like, you know, natural growth of a sovereign state, of a recognized homeland. Rich Rubino, this sounds an awful lot like uh, George W. Bush's policies in Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, why is this seen more harsh now than it was under George W. Bush? I think because, um, well, George W. Bush was also the first president who, I guess, officially said that there should be a Palestinian state. So I think that there was at least some, at least there was some um, sympathy for George W. Bush. In the case of Donald Trump, they see with his decision about moving the embassy to Jerusalem, they do not see Donald Trump as anybody who wants to play even-handed whatsoever. They see him as an adversary, and I think that's why. Um, and they also see that they also they also see that he's you know has done nothing to try to alleviate the embargo, the Egyptian-Israeli embargo on the Palestine on the on the uh, on Gaza, for example. So I think that they see anything that comes out of the Trump administration, certainly Jared Kushner, as adversarial to their interests. And there's really no they don't want to play um, you know they don't want to play with ball with them in that respect. So, Alan Moore, one thing that perplexes me on this is that you know. Donald Trump has pretty much vilified any time money has changed hands from the American government to another foreign government for some sort of quid pro quo deal. Yet part a key part of this plan that Jared Kushner put out is billions of dollars to the Palestinians and talk of a Palestinian state to get them to the table. I mean, is there a hypocrisy here, or could this is this so crazy it could actually work? Uh, I, I, I hesitate to use the word throw the word hypocrisy around because virtually everything this president says is an open contradiction to something he has previously said. So it's 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 it in that regard, who the heck knows? But he he runs hot and cold on foreign assistance. At times he he'll say. Why are we spending all of this money and we're spending too much and others need to step up and these countries need to pay for it themselves and we need to get Iraq to pay, give us some of that oil for all the money we've spent over there? Mm-hmm. And then other times, like in this particular case, he'll say, money talks, let's put enough money on the table and surely the Palestinians will respond because doesn't everybody respond to money? Answer, no. No. They do not. No. They they, they respond to to history Recognition. of of what they of, of 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 oppression of land historic land sovereignty uh, and and so um, uh, and I'm certainly no expert. Jared Kushner knows more than I know, but people who know way more than he knows have tried and failed on this front. Um, Alan, I can say with some certainty, yeah. I doubt that's true. <laughs> you know what, Dan, I agree with you. I would be shocked if Jared Kushner knows more about international law or international policy in the Middle East than Alan Moore does. But, Dan, since but he, you— He since did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. That, oh, God, we waited for that. Oh, God, we waited for that. <laughs> this, is why we, this is why we need mute control here. 
Rob, this is exactly why we need mute control here. Note to self. Um, Dan Lipner, since we got you on real quick, I, I want to talk to you about this idea. It, it, it almost seems like the White House and Jared Kushner's plan is starting to light a fuse on a big powder keg, whereas in one breath the White House says, hey, uh, Jerusalem is the uncontested in individual capital of Israel. That's where our embassy is going to sit. Everybody else can kiss our rear end or kiss our tukas in this case. At the same time, uh, he also says in this plan that, oh, well, the Palestinians will have uh, a capital in little parts of East Jerusalem. Is this a dangerous war of semantics that the White House is playing here? So I actually have a question for everyone on this, because based on what I've seen come out reported thus far, and I haven't had time to go beyond the, the, the head or much beyond the headlines. Uh, who, was there a Palestinian involved in this peace plan or did, did Jared Kushner sit down with the with uh, Netanyahu's uh, cabinet and say, this is what we're going to do? Well, we're going to give you one shot at that. We, I don't have an answer unless you do, uh, Alan. No, I, I, it wasn't Jared Kushner and the Israeli cabinet, but it was a, Several a, an, an interagency process right. in the U.S. And that included um, Nikki Haley as part of this process. There's, you know, there's, a, in. there's a lot of folks who, who do have some knowledge and experience and so on. Having said that, who said what, who did what, that's not clear. Um, but but and, the semantics of is, this— is, 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 there, is there any evidence of a Palestinian voice involved in this not that Not that I'm aware not, of. There's, not that I've seen. If, if there is—now, you know, a Palestinian voice, this is always that hard question. It's not as though the Palestinian point of view is not well known in the U.S. government, and there would be presumably people who could represent— some of those points of view is it the same is it equal no i'm not saying that yeah. but but it's not as but though at the same time at the same time alan it, it 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 to dan's point there is not a person that is familiar with palestinian policy i'm an idiot and i know enough about the palestinian question to say that that a statement that says Jerusalem is the undivided capital of the Jewish state, but we'll give you a little piece of East Jerusalem for you to put your cute little capital. That that I know for a fact would offend any self-righteous or any self-respecting Palestinian knowledgeable about this type of politics. So, so the only thing I can assume, okay, and it's not from firsthand knowledge, is that— And this has all a, been happening today. This is still developing, well, by the way. Well, look, I mean, this policy has been worked on for three years. So there have been inputs, reactions, meetings, conversations, papers moving back and forth, inside experts, outside experts, and so on. Um, so— it, it, is it reflective of Palestinian priorities? Not on its face. It's not. Is, is there some nuance, some stuff here and there that, that recognizes that? I assume so. I don't know that for a fact. But there's no reason to just walk in and say, this is what the Israelis want. That's what we want. Get over it. It's not. It, no, no, it, no well, and that's a fair point. However, what I can speak to is the history of peace talks between 
the Palestinian territory and Israel. And the closest there was to anything was the was the land for peace deal that Ehud Barak had actually put on the table uh, with Yasser Arafat way back at the end of the Clinton administration. And part of the deal was, and these, the Palestinians have been pretty hardcore on this, is they need Israeli concessions. And at least what's been publicly reported thus far, I don't see Israeli concessions. I see, yeah, we, this, is, this, is, this is peace. We want a bigger piece of Palestine. Yeah, but, but, but Dan, let me, ask you, <laughs> let me ask you this question here is, you know, when we look, even when we looked at the traditional... What, what I would consider hard hardliner prime ministers of Israel. We're talking Menachem Begin. Uh, we're talking, uh, you know, even in some instances, Ariel Sharon. Uh, they still knew that the one thing you don't do is start claiming all of Jerusalem and segregating out a suburb for the Palestinians to have their, you know, what I'm, again, paraphrasing, cute little capital of their state. That that's always been a third rail. Am, am I misreading that? Right, but that so that dog has already barked. So yeah, the rec- the the United States recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. That, that's uh, still not that's that, st- that's still not the Knesset saying. Yeah, we're going to put our new building in Jerusalem. Big difference. The Knesset still. No, no. The, the, the different Israel believes, or previously believed, that Jerusalem was their capital. The United States's embassy uh, was in Tel Aviv, specifically. While there was a consulate in Jerusalem, the official embassy—this is diplomatic nuance—the official embassy was was in Tel Aviv. So, the reason for that is to uh to again diplomatic nuance so by trump just saying all right enough with this nonsense it uh, jerusalem's the capital that takes that nuance away and the palestinians weren't thrilled about that and now this next thing is by the way this land that, that was formerly recognized as palestine that that the israelis have been building settlements on by the way they're allowed to have that too where where is the concession? Where where do the Palestinians get any part of this deal other than Donald Trump's belief that money can Al- buy anything? Alan Moore, yeah. So I think Dan, you're looking at this a little differently than some of the folks uh, around around the administration, as as I understand it. Okay, and that is you're seeing it as a sincere, real deal that might work. And the, there's there's a, a point of view here which I think. Let me be clear. Makes, I don't think it's going to work. No, 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 no. But 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 I'm not saying. No, I'm not saying that that you think it's going to work. But 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 is it a serious proposal that could work? And I think that that suggests that that was that that was an objective. I think the objective was more was was more short term, more political. Israel's got elections in March. Um, Trump would like to help Netanyahu. Uh, the thought is if this this Israel leaning proposal from America could conceivably help Netanyahu. <laughs> it could also conceivably help Trump with certain with 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 certain groups in the U.S. and. And it's it's not about a final deal or being fair or fair-minded. If but, you, but here's the thing that strikes me, though, Alan, is this deal is the way I'm reading it right now would almost set the you know the, the true hardliners at like an APAC completely off their rockers as far as saying this is not this is too liberal of a deal, and yet some that believe that you know. 
Trump and Jared Kushner and that team are going to be the great peacemakers in the Middle East are saying, well, you're you're listening to Bibi Netanyahu too much. Is, I mean, is there is there any way to win in this situation, or was this well, just what I was just saying? Is this just I, jazz I, I, hands? No, no, no. What 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 I just said. I don't think that this is a serious document aimed at being the framework for a long-term deal. I think there were short-term political considerations where the, the the president's trying to help Netanyahu and he's trying to help himself because they sort of threw up their hands that they were not going to be able to come up with a grand deal. So let's come up with something that might be helpful to our friend and to us politically. You mean, wait a minute. Are you saying that so, this so, might have been so, political? So be a little more direct. You mean you I mean to tell me it's political nonsense? Yeah, yeah. So what, Dan, Alan, I just want to make sure. Are you saying that this might have been political jazz hands to take attention away from Bibi Netanyahu getting indicted and an impeachment going on with well, Donald Trump? He's got Trump? an election in March. Who does Netanyahu? Netanyahu does. does. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's trying to help him. It's not. It's not divert attention. It's trying to be helpful to him, where he can say, "Hey, you may not like everything." No, I've there's done, a one in three but, chance but, he'll but, be in an Israeli but, prison but, during but you, election. But, but, but you guys. Well, there's a whole there's a there, there's a whole effort underway um, that that would uh, uh, that would somehow. M- protect him from this prosecution and i don't claim to to understand it but that's a matter for the israelis to decide that's a knesset so 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 i it it just sort of came up out of the blue i think you'll you'll be reading commentary in the next few days of people who really are experts uh on israel in the middle east who will who will have i'm sure devastating analyses (laughs) of it and saying you know this is not a serious enterprise this is about 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 israeli and u.s politics we have serious we have serious thoughts on this well but we don't have knowledge we can have all the thoughts we want but we lack (laughs) we lack the expertise that others will have Oh, because uh, that stops CNN, days. Fox, or MSNBC. No, no I'm just acknowledging <laughs> that they're. You know, I want to hear what Dennis Ross has to say, for example, and and people like that who have a long history here. You lost um, me, Dennis Ross. No, so, I know who Dennis Ross. So, is. oh, we never said a word about Kobe. Yeah, in case you didn't see, uh, over the weekend, uh, the the world, not just the sports world, but the world lost a, a tremendous and impactful figure. Uh, Kobe Bryant uh, and eight others were in a helicopter that uh, that tragically crashed in the mountains around Calabasas, California. Uh, no survivors uh, included in the uh, included on the aircraft was uh, Kobe Bryant's daughter uh, Gianna, who also lost her life. And two of her thirteen-year-old friends, and their parents, and, their parents. and other parents, and, it was a and, horror, and other, absolute tragedy. It's, it's absolute tragedy. Um, obviously, our, our 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 thoughts and prayers go out to uh, uh, not only all that lost lives, all the families that lost lives in that terrible crash, but uh, to to Laker Nation, L.A. I mean, just a huge, impactful player. That uh, we will likely not see anytime soon. And sadly, somebody who had set his life looking forward to making major contributions uh, to the community. Tremendously um, philosophical. He was not a perfect man, and 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 that is well that some of those problems yeah. are well known. But he had really set a path forward. That's the greatest loss. Yeah, yeah. That that that, that is some, and and his loss is going to be felt. 
uh, not only in the basketball courts uh, of every neighborhood or any NBA basketball court, but his loss is going to be felt uh, worldwide. He, he, he really was a remarkable, remarkable human being. As Alan said, not perfect, but uh, we are continuing to uh, see uh, uh, tributes come in from all over the world. Uh, athletes, non-athletes, politicians, non-politicians, celebrities, non-celebrities. Just an amazing, amazing tribute. Anyway, uh, that being said, uh, on behalf of Alan Moore, uh, Dan Lipner, Rich Rubino out in Massachusetts, special thanks, Rob the Engineer. Thank you, uh, Maddie the Engineer, for all your help today. Oscar, we love you. Thank you. Thank you. Charlie, get better. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook. You can also download us as your favorite podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple Pod. Uh, you name it. We're kind of a big deal now. Uh, send your comments, Justin, at backroompolitics.org, and we'll see you next time. See you.